Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. And I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. Professor Andrew Jopp will be joining us. He's also author of Josepha Savaz. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. His latest is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional, and coming out soon, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier, a book that he wrote with uh, Buzz Aldrin. It is November the 3rd, and on this day in 1998, former professional wrestler Jesse the Body Ventura was elected governor of Minnesota with 37% of the vote. His opponents, a seasoned political Herbert Humphrey III, son of Linda Johnson's vice president, And St. Paul Mayor Norm Coleman spent a total of $4.3 million on their campaigns. Ventura, the Reform Party candidate, spent $250,000, money raised by selling $22 t-shirts and accepting $50 donations from his supporters. His only political experience had been his years as mayor of Brooklyn Park, a suburb of Minneapolis, but his laid-back, straight-talking, libertarian approach to politics resonated with many Minnesotans, especially young men who had never voted before. I voted for Jesse because he was the most honest, one young constituent told a reporter. If he doesn't know something, he just says he doesn't know. Very refreshing. During his pro wrestling career, Ventura had always been the bad guy. He wore tie-dyed outfits, feather boas, garish sunglasses, as loudly, profanely heckled his opponents. The body was shamelessly dishonest. His motto was, if you can't win, lose if you must, but always cheat. (laughs) But when he got elected, he promised to take his job seriously. I, wanted, I don't want to cheapen the office, he said. I'm not about to turn it into some sort of a dog and pony show. Some of his accomplishments as governor were popular. He managed to pass a light rail plan for uh, Twin Cities, drafted a novel property tax reform package, and sent tax rebates called Jesse Checks to voters every year for three years. Then the state ran into uh, economic problems. His legislative support evaporated. He seemed to spend more time whining and lashing out at his critics most notably and unwisely, the droll and good-natured Garrison Keeler, who, thanks to his public radio show, The Prairie Home Companion, was a beloved Minnesota folk hero. In 2020, uh, 2002, Ventura decided that he would not run for office again. After leaving the governor's mansion, Ventura hosted TV talk shows, taught a class at Harvard, and stumped for John Kerry in 2004. He occasionally discussed running as a Green Party candidate, but never did. Jesse the Body Ventura became governor of Minnesota. I uh, had a lot of connections to Minnesota at the time, and I called around and tried to find it. Nobody would admit they actually voted for the guy. Saw him uh, speak at Harvard, and uh, he said, you know, after he won the election, he sat down with his cohorts and said, now what are we going to do now <laughs> that we won the office? Well, we've got a lot to talk about in terms of big victories today. The Atlanta Braves, for their most of their season, was just... Seemed that wasn't their year. They dropped uh, their first four games and were below 500 in August. Yet, out of nowhere, suddenly the Braves transformed themselves and took off. And yesterday, they won the World Series. Game six, seven to nothing. Congratulations to the Braves. Of more import to most people, voters delivered President Joe Biden's a stunning electoral setback on Tuesday night as Republicans outperformed their 2020 showings in the first real test of the Democrat agenda and the electoral strength, Glenn Youngkin flipped the Virginia governorship to Republican control, pulling off a win by embracing hot-button education and cultural issues and signaling trouble for Democrats nationwide heading into 2022. He led what appears to be a Republican sweep with Winsome Sears winning the lieutenant governor's office, Jason Myris, uh, leading incumbent Democrat Attorney General uh, Mark Herring and Republicans appearing to flip the State House of Delegates from Democrat to Republican by a single seat. Meanwhile, in New Jersey, the only other seat 
state with a uh, gubernatorial election on Tuesday. The results are too close to call between Democratic Governor Phil Murphy and Republican Jack Chitterelli, another black guy on the, the night for Democrats. Now, no matter who wins this in uh, New Jersey, it's a black eye for the Democrats because that is a blue, blue state. And could be right now he's leading. They just have to count the uh, absentee ballots. All righty, Virginia, we won this thing, Youngkin declared after he took the stage well after midnight at a victory party in Chantilly Ballroom. There are always those that say the hill is too steep to climb, but we are empowered. We're empowered by conviction, righteous uh, conviction in our children's future. We're strengthened by our collective belief in the Virginia's promise, he said. He defeated a strategy by his Democrat opponent, uh, Terry McAuliffe, to paint him as an extremist in time to Donald Trump, despite Yonkin having a drastically different temperament and political approach than, his fo- than the former president. Ray started with political operatives on both sides of the aisle, thinking the Democrat was a shoe-in. President Joe Biden won the state by 10 points in 2020, and the Democrat Governor Ralph Northam won by nine points in 2017. No Republican has been elected to statewide office in the traditionally southern states since 2009. But polls leading up to the election showed Yonkin surging at just the right moment, matching or even overtaking McAuliffe in the final days of the toss-up race. His campaign attributed Yonkin's success to his cheerful warrior attitude. He's 54. He's a Virginia native and former CEO of the Carlisle Group private equity firm which he left last September after 25 years. He's never had run for public office before, launching a campaign for governor. His core campaign pledges included eliminating Virginia's 2.5% grocery tax, cutting regulations with the aim of spurring job growth, and doubling the standard deduction for income tax. He also pledged to uh, fund law enforcement fully and protect qualified immunity but it was embrace of education issues at the forefront of cultural clashes that animated Republican grassroots base, fostered enthusiasm, and helped propel Yonkin to victory. Over the summer, Northern Virginia's Loudoun County exploded as the epicenter of angry parents confronting school boards over transgender policies and critical race theory, a term that started as an academic framework for examining racism that has become a descriptor for the curricula and policies that frame people and society through the lens of race. Yonkin pledged to ban critical race theory in schools, as well as keep schools open five days a week, raise teachers' pay, and expand the number of charter schools in the state. Boy, I really like what this guy has to say. In October, the revolution of two bathroom rape allegations further heightened tensions and brought more scrutiny to the school district. Last week, a male teenager allegedly wearing a skirt was found guilty of sexually assaulting a teenage girl at Stonebridge High School in May. The student is accused of a second assault in another high school, Yonkin called for an investigation into the school board. He held his final campaign rally on the eve of the election in Loudoun County. Exit polls found the education was the second most important issue for voters, with about a quarter saying it was the most important. Yonkin had the edge among those who said education was the most important issue, 56 to 24 percent for McAuliffe. The economy was the most important issue for about a third of Virginia voters. Yonkin told his supporters that his was a campaign that came from nowhere, but we were joined by neighbors and friends of all races, all religions, of all ages, of all political ideologies, and it turned into a movement. Uh, This stopped being a campaign long ago, Yonkin, uh, Yonkin said. This is the spirit of Virginia coming together like never before, the spirit of Washington, Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe, and Patrick Henry, and Virginia standing up and taking our commonwealth back. My fellow Virginians, this is our movement. He won the Republican nomination in a crowded field of candidates and went on to uh, win and become governor. In addition to that, though, uh, Yonkin's win is a nationwide boon for Republicans who hope to win in Virginia might stunt Democrats' momentum on advancing major tax and spending bills. Also, Republican challenger Jack Chitterelli has pulled ahead of incumbent Phil Murphy in a dead heat virtual dead heat, around 80% of the votes now counted in New Jersey's gubernatorial race, which will likely come down to 400,000-plus mail-in ballots postmarked as late as Tuesday. I wanted to come out here tonight because I was prepared one hell of a victory speech, he said. I'm here to tell you that we're winning. We're winning. We want every legal vote counted. We have to have time to make sure every legal vote is counted, he said. He's a former uh, three-term member of State Assembly, 
Uh, and listen, whether he wins or not, he leads Murphy right now 50.1% to 49.16%. So almost one full percentage point. This is a really great news uh, for uh, it's the canary in the coal mine for coming up to the 2022 elections. Finally, logic and reason will prevail. It, these results come at an inopportune time for Biden's legislative agenda. Democrats are on the cusp of coalescing around a plan to pass both a slimmed-down reconciliation bill, funding liberal policy priorities, and a bipartisan infrastructure bill. Both bills still cost in excess of a trillion dollars, but liberals and centrists still disagree on the details, and party leaders have little margin for error. Stronger than initially accepted, Republican showings will give Democrats something to consider as they enter the most important week of Biden's presidency, and Biden no longer looks like a major electoral asset to his party. It was a good day yesterday for victories, everything from the Braves to Yonkin and perhaps even New Jersey. So interesting. There's some other races too, uh, but uh, we won't talk about them right now. Coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Luke Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com. Or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He's an author. He's also the chairman of the Cato Institute and a constitutional scholar. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Great to be with you, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Terrific organization. Thank you, Bob. Cato.org. 
So, Bob, we want to pick up on the conversation that we've been having for the last couple of weeks about inequality. And what's the most important personal liberty offered by capitalism, but not by socialism? Well, I think a, a key aspect of personal liberty is the freedom not to participate. So, you know, folks who prefer a society that sacrifices uh, individual liberty so they can have equal outcomes, they're free in, in my libertarian world to, to form that society if they wish. What they're not free to do is to compel me to join them. Uh, in other words, libertarianism doesn't foreclose collectivist arrangements as long as the participation in those arrangements is voluntary. Uh, if there are people who are convinced that a deregulated free market uh, leaves us worse off, uh, I invite them to create a regulated welfare state and shackle it by government to their heart's content. Uh, but they would not, and this is the important point, they would not extend the same choice to me because collectivism works only when its opponents are forced to cooperate. That The collectivists will not allow libertarian enclaves inside of a collectivist system because an essential aspect of collectivism, of socialism, is force, whereas the essential aspect of libertarianism is choice. Mm. It never starts with force, but it always ends up that way, doesn't it? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> so switching to the educational system, uh, describe the controversy over critical race theory. You know, Jason Riley did a great job on that in the Wall Street Journal. He pointed out that uh, critical race theory is, is just affirmative action by another name. It's a, it's a neo-Marxist ideology that it's now pervades our educational establishment, and it teaches that a person is defined by race, gender, and sexual orientation. It's identity politics, and uh, it, it advocates this claim that American institutions are designed to ensure a white supremacy and uh, male superiority and racism, so they say, is systemic white privilege rules. Meanwhile, while all this is being taught, a majority of fourth and eighth graders can't read uh, or do math at their proper grade level. Mm -hmm. um, so... You have to ask, what's the priority, teaching math and reading or turning schools into social justice uh, boot camps? Um, we certainly don't want to whitewash our history of slavery and Jim Crow, but historical accuracy shouldn't translate into uh, this kind of racial polarization and, and blame shifting. Yeah, absolutely, and it actually, it's the antithesis of what Martin Luther King uh, claimed on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial uh, he wants to be judged in his kids by the uh, content of their character, not the color of the skin. But this is exactly the opposite. Forget about character. This is all about color, isn't it? That's right. All right. That's exactly right. So the New York Times has promoted something called the 1619 Project. Is it related to CRT? Yeah, it is. Uh, the 1619 Project <clears throat> posits that uh, America's True founding was not 1776, but it was 1619, which is the year that African slaves arrived in uh, Virginia. And then it further argues that the American Revolution was fought, you know, primarily to preserve slavery. Uh, there, there are a number of African Americans who reject that theory. I'll, I'll mention a few. Uh, John McWhorter, a Columbia University professor, criticizes the project's uh, numerous and well-documented inaccuracies. Uh, Bob Woodson, the activist, debunks the myth that uh, slavery is the source of our present-day disparities and injustice. Uh, he, re he rejects the notion that the destiny of black Americans is determined by what whites do or what whites did in the past. Uh, Peter Wood, who heads the uh, National Association of Scholars, points out that slavery in the Western Hemisphere predates Mm -hmm. the arrival of the Europeans or, or the Africans. Uh, the year 1492 uh, changed the world, but not by introducing slavery. Uh, slavery was already here. Um, and Philip Magnus, an economic historian, he disputes that slave labor powered uh, the U.S. economy. He, he classifies that argument as, as resting on dubious statistical claims and shoddy research practices, which recast slavery as a capitalist enterprise. 
And his conclusion is that the 1619 Project, uh, instead of objectively documenting the horrors of slavery, has been cynically <clears throat> repurposed into this ideological attack uh, on the free market. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, most of the uh, the slaves that came, there's only a handful of them that actually got off the boat in Jamestown in 1619, and most of them became indentured servants. And by the way, Benjamin Franklin was a Benjamin uh, was an indentured servant, or in in many cases became very successful entrepreneurs. So uh, that also helps debunk the the whole notion. Indeed. Has uh, racism in the U.S. gotten worse? Um. Well, if you think America is more racist now than ever and more sexist <clears throat> than before women uh, could vote, then you have what, what Bill Mayer calls uh, progressophobia. Uh, in 1958, for example, only 4% of Americans approved of interracial ma marriage, and <clears throat> the current uh, number is over 90%. Mm -hmm. An overwhelming majority of Americans now say they want to live in a multiracial uh, neighborhood. Uh, the country is about 14% black, but 18% of the incoming class at Harvard is, uh, is black. And you have employees of color making up about half of Microsoft, Target, and The Gap. Uh, we had a comedian, uh, Kevin Hart, that recently told the New York Times that uh, you're witnessing white power and white privilege at an all-time high. Uh, this is, I think, just ridiculous. Uh, it certainly is not higher than it was a century ago when when we had the uh, Tulsa race massacre. It's not higher than when the Klan rode uh, unchecked and we had Jim Crow laws yeah. uh, throughout the South. So this uh, progressive uh, allergy uh, to uh, acknowledging what uh, what has transpired recently, I think, is is self defeating. It's a warped view of reality, that, and it leads to policies that are equally warped. So we end up with <clears throat> dormitories that are black only, you know, in graduation ceremonies, black only, and this growing belief that whiteness is a is a a, a malady, and that white people uh, are irredeemable, that we can't be cured and redeemed from our past sins. Yeah. Identity politics as focuses on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Shouldn't merit be considered? Yeah, our primary focus ought to be on merit, in my view. If, if, we, if, we, if we sever merit from uh, determining rewards, then the idea of personal responsibility has to go because we can't be responsible if outcomes are dictated uh, by political power rather than by <clears throat> our individual efforts. Um, the argument that uh, is that you know, natural talents are not earned, and therefore uh, rewards to talent mm -hmm. are also not earned, unless, of course, they happen to serve the public good. The, the problem with that is, who defines the public good? Uh, the public good, according to progressives, is best served by redistributing the award, rewards to, to the least talented. Uh, but in, in a market society, the talented get rewards, not because they're talented, but because the public is benefited by their contributions. Right. So I, I would argue that the answer is to establish a merits-based system uh, in which identity politics does not play a role. At the same time, we should reject all government-imposed barriers to diversity and equity and inclusion. If we're concerned about undeserved rewards, the harm from misjudging merit is far less than the harm when we grant benefits based on race and religion uh, and gender. Uh, no question about it. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you, Bob. And again, Cato.org is the website. Coming up, Andrew Jopp, a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Iowa County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected into the community and with each other. The Golden Gate Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Tatiana Fortune, director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. We want to be able to connect you to whatever service or activity. And even if the person doesn't want to come out for socialization, if they have a question about, um, hey, where do I go for transportation? Where do I go for uh, a certain health care? If they have a need, we are able to point them in that direction through our information and referral service. So we're more than happy to assist in that as well. To find out more, visit CallYourSeniorResources.org. That's CallYourSeniorResources.org. Or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work, and that's just one of the initiatives. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. I must say uh, that I was so touched. Uh, you sent along uh, your newsletter that you send out uh, periodically, and uh, I just really appreciate being acknowledged and really affirming the, the content of the show. So thank you for that. Well, I, I do appreciate it. I remember several years ago you wrote up an article for me in one of the uh, slick journals in southwest Florida, which I really appreciated. So you know, I, uh, I've i had tremendous response feedback on that also in terms of comments about you. So, you know, you're you're a well-respected man already, Bob, and I think that might have added a notch to it. Uh, absolutely. So we usually start off with some good news. Um, why, why don't we, there's a lot of good news. I'm, I'm interested to find out what you've selected. Well, as I mentioned off air, there's uh, good news and there's great news today. Perhaps... Uh, uh, yesterday was the most uh, significant political day in American history since November of 2016. Uh, the good news was that uh, the Atlanta Braves beat the cheating Houston Astros in the World Series. So <laughs> that's a, my comment as a Yankee fan, as we were cheated out of it by the Astros in 2018, I guess, or 17, I lose track. But I'm a baseball fan, so I was up. I was up with that, and of course, following the election results. That's where our great news comes from yeah. uh, for the first time in a long time. I think uh, most of us can see a, uh, a response of the American people to the, uh, to the idiosyncrasies, to the absurdities of the, of the political left. Yankin, uh, <clears throat> by the way, and you and I had talked about this three weeks ago where we saw a, uh, a movement of Yankin in the gubernatorial race in Virginia. Uh, and that was brought to fulfillment with approximately, it's going to be about a, 2.5% uh, victory over McAuliffe. Uh, with um, with uh, Youngkin came in, uh, Winston Sears, who was uh, elected as the um, first black female lieutenant governor in Virginia, a Republican, uh, and Jason Mayares, uh, also a 
the first Hispanic attorney general, a Republican, in Virginia also. Uh, so this was certainly a, a, a landslide in a, uh, at very best for the, uh, for the uh, Republicans, they could see it as a purple state. Uh, by all recent estimations over the last 10 years, this is a, uh, this is a blue state. Uh, so to have Youngkin emerge uh, victorious, a significant, significant victory. Uh, of course, uh, the the analysis as to why that happened is uh, is going on, and there's going to be a thousand different reasons for it. Um, my reasons for uh, for McAuliffe losing is he was a very bad candidate just to start with. Uh, he was a retread, which uh, typically does not play well with the public. Uh, he also had supported uh, and sought support from the teachers' union. Uh, he, he brought in uh, a Weingarten, the, the, I guess the night before the, the election, to make a, a campaign speech for him, just one of the most uh, uh, offensive speakers in the world. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that was a bad choice. Uh, and, of course, he, he ran as a, an anti-Trumper, as everyone does. And I think that hurt him. Uh, as far as Youngkin, why did he win? Uh, he ran certainly as a uh, mild-mannered, pleasant, uh, moderate. Uh, I think he dispelled all of the imageries that were trying to be created of him as a uh, as a wild-eyed white supremacist. Uh, and again, the voters of Virginia were looking at the absurd wokeness process, the authoritarian COVID-19 campaign. Uh, just just the general. Um, if, if we weave in the Biden administration. Uh, the, the policies of the Biden administration and their impact uh, worldwide in uh, national America and in specifically the state of Virginia. So this list of what caused the Yunkin victory can go on and on, uh, and it will not have a specific definition. Uh, I hope the Republicans do not think they've learned a national lesson from Virginia. Virginia, it was a, a, a local election, gubernatorial, in that sense, local uh, it may or may not have implications for uh, for larger elections, yet, uh, for national candidates, the Senate, the House. Uh, I'm optimistic it will, uh, but I think that uh, this has to be put into the proper the proper context. It is a state election. Now, if we add to this this ongoing commentary that I'm just sort of making up as I go, Bob, because that's where we are at this time of the morning. Uh, Jersey, uh, uh, Torelli is. Um, tied, last I saw as I was coming uh, to talk to you, was uh, he tied exactly with Murphy for the gubernatorial uh, race in, in New Jersey. Yeah. Now, sometimes in politics, close doesn't matter. In the House, it doesn't matter, the Senate, because the numbers that go into those bodies is the most significant. But close does matter in these state elections. Uh, if Even if Cacciatorelli uh, loses, uh, essentially, the, uh, the, the closeness of that race will once again indicate what might be a, a tidal wave of shift uh, in the American voting population. And by the way, that's a very optimistic statement for me to make. Um, my concern in 2022 uh, has not been a rejection of Democrat policies, but I've always said that what they'll do before 2022 is jettison Joe Biden. And since almost all of these policies have been aligned, not with the Democrat progressive left, but with Joe Biden as a specific person, uh, that jettisoning of, of Biden may, in fact, eliminate that tarnish uh, from the Democrat uh, appearance to the public. So uh, I, I don't know how this will play out in 2022. I'm certainly more optimistic than I was uh, before that election. Uh, but yet I think we have to understand that a state election is going to play out entirely different than national elections. Yeah. No, no well said, Andy. I would uh, summarize. I think the difference between the uh, the election in Virginia was that Yonkin was appealing to the people's interests and what was on their minds and what they needed and what their interests might be, whereas uh, the, his opponent, McAuliffe, was appealing to her special interests and was uh, playing. In fact, he, he was just as a total dearth of, of uh, reflection on what the people really wanted in Virginia. He just hey, he didn't uh, he didn't appeal to the people. And. Well, his alignment with the teachers' union was particularly uh, w without any sensitivity to what was going on in the state. And, and so I think your, your basic position is correct. His, uh, his uh, poorly worded um, statement that parents essentially have no role to play in terms of, the, uh, of, the, of their teachers' uh, learning experience in the schools, again, 
Uh, he might have been able to state that in a, in a far more meaningful manner, but he didn't. He said it in the most harsh manner yeah. uh, in the middle of a process where there's a, a significant disruption that has been caused by COVID-19 and the closing of schools yeah. uh, and, and uh, with, the, with the general problems with the, uh, with the performance in, in Virginia schools. Uh, and, of course, parents concerned with CRT and 1619, the 1619 project. So he was totally tone deaf to all of those issues and, again, aligned himself with the teachers' union. So I think your, your point is, is exactly right. Uh, I think ultimately, I think most, many will try to focus on a specific thing that uh, caused the Yunkin victory. I think it's, it perhaps is a cumulative impact of everything. Yeah. And I would say that Trump's uh, support uh, was an asset, not a detriment at all. I hope the Republicans don't believe that by in some way uh, keeping uh, Trump out of their states, that will matter. It will matter only in the negative sense. Virginia was different. Virginia was a blue state. Yeah. I can understand why Trump would not have gone into into Virginia. It would have it would have just uh, rallied the uh, the forces of, uh, of of the of the left. Uh, so that uh, Virginia was a unique state. Uh, nationwide, Virginia continues to be someone uh, who must, in fact, be sought out uh, for his support. If we look at CNN's comments last night, um, they still focus entirely on Trump. Uh, the New York Times today focused on Trump. I think Van Jones yesterday referred to uh, Yunkin as an acolyte. Uh, and I think Biden also used the same phrase, an acolyte of Trump. Yeah. Uh, so here we have Trump is being presented by the by the left as being the dominant force in Republican politics. And I think they're right. I hope that the Republicans do not turn their back on Donald Trump after these elections. Now, that's well said. And of course, uh McAuliffe brought out the big guns. He brought Barack Obama, uh, Joe Biden, Kamala. You know, he, he brought out all the forces. Hey, Abrams he came in. The, the whole, the whole top echelon of the of the progressive left was there, and it did absolutely no good. Yeah, and the other thing I'll say, I, I believe right now that this this whole notion of everything is racism is wearing thin on the American people. I just see a, a total reaction. I think the whole notion that people want to be talked to as thinking people, as not as, uh, you know, hear these phrases coming out of the uh, Democrats that are just uh, not, not really acknowledging the intelligence of the American people. Especially at the personal level, when the the left is categorizing um, uh, whites and white males, particularly as inherently racist, and every white male that isn't, such as myself and and yourself, I'm sure, know that we're not racist. So uh, the, there's a, a personal response, uh, even an emotional response, to having uh, ourselves categorized as racist, when effectively uh, our back, my background at least, has certainly been absolutely void of that. I have support, supported. Uh, black political candidates. I, in fact, got a black uh, African-American elected to the uh, Board of Education at Peekskill. I sought him out and uh, promoted him to the NAACP. So the only point I'm making is that uh, millions of Americans like myself who completely understand the absence of racism uh, in their construct are now being confronted with these these absolute statements that they're racist by their color and by their gender. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, just a great. We should just rub success all over ourselves. Very, very happy about what happened to uh, in in Virginia and p potentially in New Jersey as well. Even if he, even if we have a loss in New Jersey, I think it's a victory in some ways. I want to move. Let's move to Europe and Joe Biden's uh, now returned uh, from Europe and his Euro European visit. How do you assess that whole experience? Just, just a absolute disaster. Um, um, I'll start with uh, his his visit to the Pope. Now, I am a uh, strong supporter of the Catholic Church. I'm not Catholic, but I I support the institution of the Catholic Church. I am not a big fan of Pope Francis. Uh, when Joe Biden indicated that he liked the style of Catholicism that Pope Francis offered, it sort of was an offensive remark to me, even as a non-Catholic that somehow being a Catholic or being a, uh, the Pope of the Catholic Church was a style-related issue. Yeah. And I think what he was referring to uh, was the, the incredible Marxist type of background that Pope Francis uh, brought to the table. He, uh, Pope Francis has publicly rejected the right to property. He has been a participant in the, the climate change process, the globalist uh, climate change process. He has come out against 
any borders and rules of entry he's come out against the nation state. So if we, you know, we could go on with this list of positions taken by Pope Francis, uh, which certainly uh, explains perhaps why Joe Biden likes the style of Catholicism uh, offered by Pope Francis, which is essentially a Marxist globalist policy uh, pattern that the Pope has displayed since he uh, came into the papacy. Let, let me mention something about uh, his gaining the papacy, which is uh, one of the strong rumors in Catholic conservative organizations, and that is that Barack Obama authored the resignation of Ratzinger uh, by, in fact, creating scandals within the church. Why did he want Ratzinger out? Ratzinger was uh, negative towards Islam and was getting very cozy with the Moscow-based Russian Orthodox Church. Huh. Uh, so we, so you have Ratzinger is supporting uh, or going in the direction of supporting a Russian-based institution is in fact becoming very negative towards towards Islam and the rumors and very well documented rumors I might add were that Obama inserted himself into the Ratzinger uh, resignation process by creating a, an ongoing series of scandals internally in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, for your, for your audience, everything I just said is, is, is fairly well documented, but certainly not a well-established historical truth. That is so interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that, uh, Andy. So what about, what about the, uh, the uh, climate conference? Uh, any thoughts on that? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> in the first place, this, this, this is um, uh, COP26. Uh, the, it's the Conference of the Parties. I have no idea what that refers to. It uh, had its origins in 1995. Uh, I think one of the most interesting things about the uh, Conference of the Parties process since its beginning, uh, every year following the meeting of the parties in this conference of parties, the amount of carbon, atmospheric carbon, increased every single year. Uh, not once in the 26th year, now the 26th year of its meeting, has anyone offered any opinion in variance uh, from the mainstream uh, sense or the IPCC uh, position on, on, on climate change. Uh, it has never been mentioned that there is nothing significant uh, going on that is outside uh, long-term historical norms for the planet in terms of temperature increases. Uh, they, they never mentioned that we've been through three or four measured uh, ice ages. Uh, they, they have no, no understanding at all. Uh, they don't have it because it's not available of what would happen with any uh, minimal or even significant reduction in carbon. There's, there's no proof, no guarantee whatsoever right. that this would cause any significant impact. Uh, at, uh, at, the, at the conference, uh, three of the major worldwide uh, nations are, were not participants. Uh, China, Russia, Brazil were not there. Uh, if you, in fact, take those three nations out of this thing, you really have have only about half, uh, perhaps half of the worldwide population that's that's being uh, cited. Right. Now, this this conference is going to suggest that significant uh, decarbonization policies, uh, and these policies already already have been causing significant uh, energy problems across the globe in China. China going back to uh, to coal more and more, which of course is in their minds going to be a carbon pollutant. Uh, if we get the uh, United Kingdom, United Kingdom is going is going more and more towards uh, towards uh, uh, gas uh, gas burning uh, energy sources, uh, and in fact, uh, it's with the prices of gas right now that is hitting the uh, UK economy very very hard. Uh, these are only early symptoms of what is happening as the uh, as these people who are absolutely ignorant of economics, ignorant of the of the process of developing and supplying energy sources, uh, these people are making decisions that could uh, seriously and are already seriously damaging the people of this planet. I agree uh, fully with, with everything you just said, Andrew, and uh, quite frankly, I'd like to see some sort of a movement uh, to deal with this issue, just like we had in Virginia, dealing with the whole notion of uh, the education of our children. So interesting. Andy, before I let you go, can you, you know, make a comment on the infrastructure bill? I think the, the uh, recent elections are going to really dampen the spirits of, leg of uh, elected officials in Washington, D.C., supporting something they think could probably be their noose going into the elections in 2022. 
I, I don't think it's going to get through, uh, certainly not within its present form and its present dollar level. Uh, I think uh, Manchin is, uh, is, is firm. I, I don't think he's going to uh, uh, move in other directions unless uh, there is a significant cutback in the dollars that are being spent uh, and some of the issues that are still retained, even in the cutback infrastructure. Thank you, Andy. Well, I just want to remind our listeners, if uh, you go to my website, bobhard.com, just check out, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a pull-down tab at the top of the website. Uh, I've posted uh, Andy's latest two argue, uh, articles, uh, Everything is Downstream from Culture. Really a great read. And then he also... Bob, I, do we have a second where I could add another point? Sure. Uh, there was a, an agreement of 136 nations to uh, approve a worldwide a global corporate tax of 15%. Yes. Now, uh, for the United States participation, that would have to be approved by the by the United States Congress. Uh, you know, and I was just, we asked the question, uh, why is this only focusing on, 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 the, on corporate tax? Why aren't they demanding a worldwide minimum wage? Why aren't they demanding a, a worldwide payroll tax being the same? Why aren't they demanding the same regulations for, uh, for businesses across the globe? Why is it entirely the 15% global uh, corporate tax only? And I think the, the answer I'm going to supply is because that's what the United States wants. It wants something that will be a barrier to our companies uh, moving out of the United States to escape our high taxation levels. Interesting. Thank you, Andy, for that. So, again, just uh, take a look at, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, at the top of my website, uh, you'll find everything is downstream from culture. It's a great read. And also, Andy's column, Bob Harden, American Patriot. Really appreciate that, Andy. Really appreciate the sentiments and uh, your support. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. We'll talk soon, Bob. Thank you so much, Andy. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, uh, endowed professor at the University of Houston. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A perfect product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can get tickets now and visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of several books, uh, his latest uh, is uh, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Great read. And coming out soon, a book that he wrote right, with uh, Buzz Aldrin, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks so much for having me on again. Always a pleasure, Professor. Well, I, I'd like to point out that uh, also you wrote a book called Scared Witless, The Prophets and Prophets of Climate Doom. It's all about the the climate change and uh, uh, movement that we're experiencing right now. The uh, President Biden's just returning from the conference on climate change, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, everything that's happening. Well, I think the drumbeat is uh, kind of hopeless. Uh, nothing's going to come out of it. Uh, I think it was probably a bad evening for uh, President Biden last evening when uh, we saw what happened in Virginia. And yeah. I think, you know, New Jersey is looking pretty shaky now for the Democrats. So, but, you know, the this last chance of the last chance thing is getting a little bit old. And, and uh, this this conference, you know, not it was notable. I've got an article coming out today. uh Kind of, it's kind of notable that uh, uh, Xi and, and Putin didn't didn't come to the conference. Not so surprising because uh, they have an enormous amount uh, to gain from all this nonsense. Uh, you know, you have uh, you know Biden killing the Keystone Pipeline, and uh, you know the, the uh, drilling in Anwar, as well as you know public lands and waters and so on at the time when he, he gives a nod of okay to uh, Russia to build the Nord Stream 2 pipeline from Russia to principally to Germany and uh, sell natural gas that we could be we could be selling to Europe uh, which is not a real good move hmm. uh, and then you've got China that is building a new coal fire plant equivalent of about one a week it really kind of gets a pass. It was, I thought it was really comical when, when Biden at the conference was chastising uh, China and Russia for not doing all they could, but he also chastised uh, Saudi Arabia, which wasn't didn't have their leader there. And at the same time, he's asking OPEC to pump more oil. Now I thought, <laughs> I thought this was about oil and climate and so on. So it's. It's 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 a uh, travesty. Uh, it's it's uh, an, another uh, uh, nonsensical meeting. I understand he had a Biden had a caravan of like eighty some cars in his parade. Uh, think of how many carbon footprints got stopped. In a, Stop yeah. to death uh, in that meeting. Exactly. And and the whole premise of the movement is just absurd, as you've pointed out in your book, and uh, the whole notion that somehow carbon dioxide is a pollutant and is uh, causing global warming. Uh, it's plant food. It's, it's, it's the food for photosynthesis, which really creates the, the wonderful cycle that nature's created for us in order to be able to breathe and for plants to be fed. And, uh, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing. And yet, uh, for some reason, uh, the Earth's going to end in 12 years because oh, we may be too late. <laughs> the well, they didn't have anything to amp up the alarm about because this new report, this latest IPCC report, had nothing alarming in it. Uh, you know, the ocean, you know, when you look at the stuff we're supposed to be writing about, that, that you know, the, the uh, extreme weather has not become more extreme nor more, more, nor more frequent. And all you have to do Simply look at the data and look at you know look at the uh, category three hurricanes for example hitting the hitting the U.S. coast and you find it's we've had it we've had it less frequent than than usual and as far as ocean rise uh, it hasn't accelerated it's been the same still warming ourselves you know the country the planet out of the little last little ice age and and uh, and nobody 
disputes that it's gradually warming. It has been for since the last ice age in Pitts and Starts, but ocean rise has been seven inches per century, and it continues at that rate. So there's really nothing you can point to to get terribly frightened about. Um, it's it's uh, you know it's it's absolutely insane. But and and the science you know the the so-called science is is so speculative. The models have never delivered. What, what they, you know, what, you know, all the alarmist uh, kind of kind of results, and uh, you reverse engineer them, and you realize you can't, uh, you know, you can't even construct modern temperatures from the models. So it's, it's uh, but, but so it's, it's certainly not something you build uh, important policies about and yeah. sacrifice energy at a time when, you know, we're going into winter, you know, winter warm uh, uh, heating season, with with a global shortage of coal and oil uh, that China needs and all countries need, and I think some frozen pipes will be a big wake up call for a lot of people. Yeah, in this country and a lot of other countries. And, and uh, it's supposedly this bill, Build Back America bill, is going to have billions and billions of dollars dedicated towards creating green energy alternatives for. Uh, for our economy. I mean, only a year ago, we were totally uh, energy independent here in the United States. And now we've uh, we've subordinated ourselves to other interests right now. And uh, we're begging, going to uh, Saudi Arabia, say, please, could you just turn on the spigot a little harder? We need some oil over here, at least according to Joe Biden. Well, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, the, the elections last evening, and we can see what happens yet with New Jersey, but uh, it's going to, I think, uh, uh, give a lot of, if we can call moderate Democrats anywhere, it seems like them, they've been pulled so far to the left, but a lot of uh, Democrats that are still looking to protect their hides for 2022, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's going to have a big damping effect last, you know, what happened last evening because, uh, you know, it's a big wake-up call. So, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens to that legislation, I think. Mansion and Senate are going to have more more company than you know than before. Um, now, I think the left will probably double down as they usually do, which isn't always the wisest thing to do, but uh, it may be the best thing because I think I think the more you know, I think they've shown that they're they're, they're being terribly excessive, and so a lot of these a lot of these spending bills and including uh, I think you know looking into what's really in the infrastructure bill and. Reconciliation. A lot of that stuff now is being exposed for, you know, really say, "Oh my God, I didn't know all that all that stuff was in there." And and uh, I don't think, you know, I, I'm just guessing that uh, we're not going to see a lot of that legislation and you know, a lot of that pork uh, survive. Yeah, from your from your lips to God's ear, Professor. I hope you're absolutely right. By the way, I want to remind our listeners that you have a column in Newsmax. It's uh, published several times a week, actually. Uh, the latest is broken U.S. supply chain linked to alarming China dependence. You can find it at Newsmax.com. Uh, the the uh, column is entitled uh, On Point by uh, Professor Larry Bell. Also, when is uh, flag, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints coming out? My my publisher says soon. We've got the in production. It's going to come out initially in, in a hardcover. Uh, I'm going to try to get it out this month. It may slip in the early part of December. And then uh, I think they'll be followed up uh, probably early next year with a with a soft cover one. But uh, we're we're getting there. It's uh, it's getting close, and uh, I'll I'll be you know, happy to see it come out because I think it's a it's a very interesting book. It's it's not autobiographical. It's not biographical. It's just about buzz. It's really about how the whole space global space program came about and where we think it's going. I'm looking forward to read it, Professor. Again, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier by uh, Larry Bell and Buzz Aldrin. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, I really enjoyed it, too. Thank you so much. My pleasure, indeed. Uh, Professor Bell was a big, big part of the uh, space program back in the day and uh, just a really brilliant man. Glad to have him on the show. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we'll visit with Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, and doing a lot for public education here in Florida. 
Dr. George Markovich is an orthopedic surgeon. We'll get his comments, as well as Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be with us as well. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.